Um, just as you're grabbing a seat, um, so, so most of you guys, so, most of you already know this anyway, but um, the only way to find us as a church is to know someone who comes here who gives you the address. You guys are aware of that at the moment? Um, and someone hit me up, this, so Adam and Aaron looked for us this week and you guys ended up at Boambi Hall. And I think there's going to be a classic confusion, um, is Boambi Hall or Boambi Memorial Hall or whatever. So when you're inviting people, did, did you find your way here okay? Oh, you got a lift. That's the way to do it. If you're bringing someone, put them in your car and bring them here, otherwise they won't get lost. Otherwise, just make sure you mention Bruce King Drive and still sometimes that doesn't work, does it? Anyway. Um, I was chatting to someone this week who said we, um, we've, we've been waiting, like we've been looking, I look every week on the internet and I can't find you, there's no website. And, I, and they said, what do you guys think you are, like black market? And I thought, that sounds alright, yep. <laughs> Let's stay black market for a little bit, the only way to find us is through someone who knows us. And, um, but that's, that's kind of deliberate, you guys understand that. We, we're, we're kind of, we're in, we're in the stage of life now, we're just trying to find our feet trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out what our rhythms are, trying to figure out what we can pull off, all that kind of stuff. And if we, we put out this whopping invitation to coughs and, you know, lo- lots of people came quite quickly, we would not be able to love them and care for them well right now. So we kind of want to grow into a place where we can do that well. So that's, that's partly our slowness in getting the word out there. But in saying that, you invite whoever you want. Just if you've, if you've got friends or you've got family or you meet someone, you invite them. No hesitation. Bring them along. And it's th- those of you, tonight's your first night or afternoon. Um, awesome to have you. I hope you find this helpful. Um, you can open up to Colossians. We're going to get there in just one sec. I've got two more things to say. Um, tonight after church, um, me and Bryce at least, well, and a few others, are keen to go for a surf. So um, we're thinking we'll probably just go to the headland at Sortel and... Um, probably look at Southies or somewhere around there. Uh, if you want to come and hang out on the headland, bring some hot chips or something, and I don't know if there's somewhere better, but we're just thinking that's probably one of the spots. If, is anyone else planning on doing something after church that you want to throw the invite out to everyone here? What's that? Party at whose house? My house. <laughs> Anyway, there you go. So there's something going on after church if you're looking for it um, this week. Next week, we've been waiting until the ground dries up outside well enough that we can have a crack at doing church out on the grass. Um, although I did go out and stand there just before church and, and it was hot, eh? So anyway, on, on a week where we feel like, nah, it's nice, let's do it. We're just going to do it. Um, and so maybe next Sunday we'll do it. We'll see. Um, and if... Probably the only thing you need to know is to bring a picnic rug or a blanket or something like that, or a folding chair, whatever you need. And how do we, how do we let you know that? Um, it's kind of hard. We don't have these airtight communication systems or anything at the moment. The only thing we've got is, as Sal mentioned before, we've got a messenger group, um, which kind of some of you check if you're on it or whatever. So if, if you want to be part of some communication that goes on midweek, just let us know and we'll throw you on that so that you can get these really boring videos from me that nobody watches and are really unimportant. It's not true, they're very key. Um, and, and you can comment or share some stuff, so that's it. There's, there's a messenger thing. Um, let's read, so we're going to go from chapter 1. And if I drop, I keep, so what I'm being told is I drop the mic sometimes like this and then I have to, you have to turn it up and it peaks. So if you see me dropping the mic, just kind of go like this to me, all right? That helps me to get it back up there. Is that okay? All right. It's going to be a fun night tonight, isn't it? 
Lulu's going to laugh at everything I do, and maybe Matt too. I know you guys are going to laugh. Um, so can someone read it, actually? Can someone read Colossians 1, 24, just through to the end of chapter 1? Someone just big voice it? Or oh, I'll give you the microphone. Oh, was I doing it again? Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but, na- but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Thanks, mate. So if you're taking notes this afternoon, I've got three main areas. We're going to talk about our job, we're going to talk about our burden, and we're going to talk about our joy. So if you're scribbling, and I always find it helpful to scribble, someone's scribbling, our job, our burden, our joy. Last week we looked at the concept of us being given a task or a title and the title is Ministers of Reconciliation. Whopping big word but basically just means we're the ones that call out to all of humanity, listen up, God is reconciling the world to himself so be reconciled to God. Get on board with what God is doing with the whole planet and all of humanity. Um, what the, the way we kind of get to look at our job or our title again this week is slightly different language but the same concept and it fits with handing out the Bibles. I was, we were kind of waiting for a week where the passage really kind of talked about the, the concept of sharing the gospel to do this. So hopefully what I say will give you courage or to, to actually get on that challenge. Here's one way of describing who we are. Um, if you're someone who's come to put your trust in Jesus, you've been given a responsibility and the responsibility is to hold out the word hold out the word that's how i describe it the language that we get in the passage here today is this that you present the word or that you proclaim the word have a look at that language with me there look at verse 24 now i rejoice in what i am suffering for you and i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to christ's afflictions for the sake of his body his church we'll come back to that bit there's some kind of strange things being said there we'll come back to that but look at the language here I this is Paul I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God there's the presenting of the word of God look at down at verse 28 look at the language there he is the one we proclaim so two p words presenting and proclaiming 
Paul the Apostle, see that that's the commissioning he's been given. But as we kind of looked at last week, it's not just something for Paul. There are unique things that the Apostle has as his commissioning, but so much of what's given to Paul is passed on to all the followers of Jesus to actually continue understanding it's their job as well. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. What does it mean for us to be people who, what are the two Ps? It's proclaim and present the Word of God, or as I would say, hold out the Word of God, Um, because this is going to be our task. Um, the two different categories of holding out the Word of God that, that I would conceive of. Number one, we hold out the Word of God to those who don't know Christ, everyone around us. Yep. And number two, we hold out the Word of God to each other continually. Yep. Let's look at those two categories. First, hold out the Word of God to basically everyone around us. Um, have a look at how it's described there in verse 28, or look at the language. Um, this is the Word of God that we're holding out in all its fullness. Um, it's described as a mystery. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Just pause there for a minute. Apparently this word that we're holding out and the word in all its fullness is something of a mystery. But then you find out that the mystery isn't meaning it's just this really complicated thing that no one ever finds out about. Mystery in the the scriptures often just means hidden for a little bit but then revealed. That's the concept of the word mystery. Get it all the way through Ephesians as well. So here's the deal. The Word of God in all its fullness, there's something about it, there's something about how God's going to save humanity that's been hidden for many generations and ages, right through the Old Testament actually. There's something about God's salvation that's been hidden but now has been made known. Um, Now it's been made known to the church. This this Word of God in all its fullness has been made known. Let's read on and see what it is. It's been kept hidden through the ages, but now it's disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make it known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is... So here's the mystery. Here's the thing that's now been revealed. Look how it's described. It simply says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's, It's an interesting way of describing what we're meant to be holding out. We're holding out a message in all its fullness that can be described like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's interesting. Have you ever thought about what that means? What does it mean that we're holding out a message that is Christ in you? I'll tell you how I conceive of it. This world has many messages. This world has many religions, many philosophies. All of those religions and philosophies, if they're proclaiming a God, basically say this, get yourself to God. It's, it's like God sits on top, of, on top of the mountain and your job is to climb the mountain to get to God and you've got to follow these rules or those commands to kind of get your way up and it's all about you earning your way there, you performing in a way that makes yourself acceptable to that God and Christianity is the only religion that comes with a message like this which is instead of you've got to get yourself to God, it's God's come to us. And, and even more than him just coming in history to us, it's, it's Christ in you. He, he comes to us and actually comes to live in you. So here's the message we proclaim to the world around us, and, and maybe some of you, you really need to hear this this afternoon. God has come to rescue you from your sin. If you put your trust in his work of the cross, cross, he actually comes to live in you. That's phenomenal, that's unique, you won't find that anywhere else. He comes and takes up residence in you. Christ, by his spirit, comes to live in you, set up camp in you, and you won't find out that promise anywhere else. 
And what an incredible promise to have God live in you. Because if that's not going to give you hope for yourself, I don't know what will. If you're someone who's honest enough to admit that you struggle with yourself and you've struggled to make the changes you'd love to make over the years and you're aware that others have struggled with you as well and despite your best efforts, sometimes you get a bit sick of yourself. I'll tell you what, his hope that the God of the universe, the one of perfect character, actually comes to live in you. So not only are you called to put your trust in him and receive that forgiveness, but in that moment, as that moment happens, he comes to actually live in you. And this is the unique, incredible message that we hold out to a world. Like your God loves you and has been so merciful to you that he's come and he can come and take up residence in you and live in you by his spirit. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, he's in you, alive in you, and he's going to be transforming you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like as quickly as we'd like him to be transforming us, but it's his work. Now, hands up if you're with me in being able to admit that you are a work in progress. Yeah, good. That's okay. We're all a work in progress, and we actually trust that God's at work in us actually making us more like his son and this is what it means to be christian to have christ in us and and the next little phrase christ in you the hope of glory what's what's that on about well hope in the scriptures is always in regards to a certainty about the future so it's christ in you with a certainty about glory a certainty about heaven and the big thing about heaven is just relationship with god so here's the deal christ in you permanently Christ in you, ongoing and forever. Christ in you, and he's never going to leave. Christ beginning a work in you, and it's never going to end. What an incredible word to hear. That there's nothing like the Christian gospel anywhere else in the world. And this is what we get the incredible privilege of holding out to a world that is trying to pretend it's not lost. It's trying to pretend they got themselves together. But those, there's those deep existential questions that bang away at your heart and no, nothing else is going to answer those questions, like knowing the God of the universe, that he loves you, that he's come for you and that he's going to come and live in you as you put your trust in him. So there's what we're holding out. What an incredible, what an incredible opportunity to hold out such an incredible message. Um, now, as, as, as we give these Bibles out and, and um, the, the challenge is to give it away, it, it is God who chooses to reveal himself through his, by his spirit through his word. And it's his word that contains this message of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes it takes a little while, though, to be able to sit with someone and help them read the scriptures and actually understand Christ in them and, and what the offer is. And so we, I think, over the years want to give ourselves to training ourselves to know actually how to help people read the Bible well. Um, you might not know how to do that, but I'm actually keen to see who's going to get on this, who's going to be able to give a Bible away, and then whether we can actually get better at learning to read the Bible with people who have never read it before and need help reading it. Someone gave you help learning how to read the Bible, if you know how to read it now, and we need to get good at helping others to do that. That's part of holding out the Word of God so that people would be saved. There's the first part of holding out the Word. Here's the second part. We hold out the Word of God to everyone around us, and here's a task that's unique for us with each other, is that we hold the word out to each other as well. Have a look at how Paul says it here in verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So it sounds like, it sounds like Paul is actually been the one who's, um, or Paul and the apostles are the one teaching and admonishing. 
But then check out chapter 3, verse 16, and you find out it's not just the apostles who are doing the teaching and admonishing. It's not just the leaders who do the teaching and admonishing. It's little old you and me doing it with each other. Look at verse 16, chapter 3. Got it? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Got that? So here's how we hold out the word to each other. We're actually responsible to hold it out and and teach and admonish one another. Admonish actually means rebuke or correct. That obviously needs to be done in love, in relationship, in commitment to each other, where you can actually love each other enough to sometimes bring a word of correction or a word of rebuke in love. That's, that's the concept of speaking the truth in love to one another. But can you see how we're meant to be teaching and admonishing one another? So we'll meet, every, we'll meet every Sunday and someone like myself will actually get the chance to proclaim. That's what's happening here. We get to proclaim the gospel. But this is not the only place that teaching and admonishing and proclaiming can happen. It's actually meant to happen in many ways among the people of God to each other. It starts with you being in the word yourself. And then, it, and then it goes on to you taking up opportunities one-on-one as you meet with your brothers and sisters. And then you know, as we kind of get to starting groups in church, which we're going to get to, I just, I just want to make sure we kind of uh, do it helpfully and in the right time. Often in groups midweek is, is an incredible opportunity, if you'll take it, to actually be able to teach each other. Um, and so looking forward to that happening among us. And um, so know that that's your role too. You, you, you actually get to hold out the Word of God to your brothers and sisters. Um, and that's going to be beautiful as we see God enabling us to do that with each other because we'll grow each other up in the Lord. That's really cool. So there's the first one. Our job is to hold out the word to the world around us and to each other. Here's the second thing. Our burden. You want to write that down? Our burden. Now I'll pick up verse 24. So come back to the beginning of the passage. Um, burden sounds strong and heavy and that's actually what it is this job of holding out the word there's something we need to understand about it otherwise you'll freak out when the dynamic hits home look at verse 24 paul says now i rejoice in what i'm suffering for you and i fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to christ's afflictions now that's kind of crazy paul saying i'm filling up in my flesh what's lacking in regards to christ's afflictions It sounds wacky on a number of different levels. It almost sounds like some weird monk, flagellation, self-whipping, you know, filling up in my flesh pain. It sounds kind of crazy. It's not that. Paul's not kind of whipping himself. Um, He's not doing that. And and the other reason why it sounds crazy, because he's mentioning there's, there's a lacking. There's something lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now you pause on that one for a minute and you go, hang on, hold the phone. Is that an old person thing to say? It might be. I'm old. What's lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? Like Christ's afflictions meaning his suffering and his death. What's lacking there? Because, you know, if you've been in the Word for long, you'll know that, that the work of Christ on the cross is complete and sufficient. Everything you need to be saved so in what sense is it lacking? Because Jesus himself, as he's hanging on the cross, just before he bows his head, his head what does he say? It's finished. It's done. No, nothing left to be done here. Paying for the sins of the world. Done. Tick. 
So in what sense is there something lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? Well, apparently there's this dynamic that comes in the category of Christ's afflictions, which is that Christ's afflictions are also to somehow dynamically continue through his followers. It's certainly the case for Paul, the apostle. Now, you might say he had a pretty unique commissioning, which he did. And in fact, the risen Jesus said something to Paul when he was blinded on the road. I'm not sure if you remember that. But he says to Paul, I will show you how much you will suffer for my name. So I think Paul gets an extra dose. And it might be that's the big thing being spoken of here, that what's lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions is the role of the apostle Paul to actually take the gospel to the Gentiles. But I think it continues beyond the Apostle Paul to us because Jesus speaks to all his followers and he says to them, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. And so so here's the thing in regards to Christ's afflictions, his suffering. There's an element to it or a dynamic to it that continues into his followers. As his mission continues, the dynamic of suffering actually is to continue as well. Not meaning that you go out there trying to get affliction or trying to suffer. Some people have taken it that far, which is the whole self-flagellation thing. Am I using the right word there, flagellation? Someone just nod and tell me I haven't said anything bad. Okay, some people kind of go down that track. That's not the case. It's simply, it's simply just followers going, well, if I'm going to follow a crucified Messiah, the suffering servant, then I'm going to understand a big part of the dynamic, or at least a part of the dynamic of following him, is this concept of living in his afflictions, living in his suffering. And this is going to be our burden. And in regards to this concept of holding out the word of life, can we talk about the the suffering or the affliction that may come or probably will come if you're someone who actually takes seriously your job to hold out the word? And some of you are already feeling it in your mind as we even pass the Bibles around. I've got two things, or three things. Number one, what is it that Christ's afflictions or suffering that we'll feel as we try to hold out the Word of God, and particularly hold out the Word of God to people who don't know Christ? I'll tell you what's going to go on for us, I reckon. You're going to feel the weight of responsibility and concern. You see, once you hear the Gospel and hear that the only way to be saved is actually to put your trust in Jesus... How can you not then turn and look at the world we're living in and, and feel a weight of concern for those who don't yet have Christ? That's an appropriate weight to bear. That's part of the deal for us and this is going to be part of the suffering of Christ is carrying the burden of the lost around us who don't yet know Jesus and are not yet saved. I would prefer to just chill. I personally would just prefer to cruise in my life. I would prefer not to carry burden or weight. I'd prefer to just be a boy my whole life and never carry any responsibility, just in my fleshly man, you know. And I think we live in a world that kind of congratulates people for being as cruisy as they possibly can and mapping out a lifestyle where they somehow get by and they really just kind of chill as well and we clap them, we applaud them on social media or whatever they project there and... But instead, we've actually been given a responsibility to hold out the word of life, which means we're called to live intentionally and deliberately. And you might be thinking about that and maybe you're in a bit of an exhausted season at the moment. You might kind of hear that and think, I I just don't know I've got it in me. I don't think I've got the strength to hold out the word and bear the weight. Well, we're going to get to strength in a little bit. There's strength for you, okay? We'll get there at the end. But hang in there. 
So there's the first one, weight and responsibility that's going to come. And here's the second one, cost. There's going to be cost that we're going to need to bear as we labour and struggle. I mean, Paul talks about how he strenuously contends. He's straining to contend for the gospel. There's going to be labour for you and I and struggle for you and I if we actually take on this concept of holding out the word of God. And I think the cost will come in these areas. It's going to take you time. Time you could have spent on other things. And you'd like to spend on other things. It's going to take you time. It's going to take you energy. Energy, emotional energy, physical energy that you could have spent on other things. Other things you would like to do. Time, energy. Now here's the big one though and I wonder whether this is what you're already thinking about. It's going to cost you relationally. Is that not the first thing you think about when you when you're reminded of the concept that we need to talk about our faith and attempt to hold out an offer that God is making to the world. I think this is usually the first thing we kind of balk at, is thinking, what's that going to do to my relationships? Is it going to make things awkward? Is it going to make people step away from me? Am I going to bang up these relationships that I've just spent years trying to make and I really value them and I really love them and I really need them? What's it going to do? Did that thought go through your mind when we passed the Bibles around with the challenge to hand it out? Did you think, oh, if I do this, what could happen? It's the first thing that goes through my mind, all right? And I think it's okay that it's the first thing that goes through your mind because unless you're a, is it sociopath? Well, what's a person who actually honestly doesn't care what people think of them? Sociopath. Unless you're a sociopath, and sometimes I wish I was a little bit more of a sociopath, then you're probably someone who cares heaps about what people think of you and you care a lot about your relationships and here's why because you're wired for connection like you, we are created for relationships so it we fear disconnection we fear estrangement from each other we're created that way so here's the first thing i want to acknowledge if you notice fear rising up in you as you consider this concept of risking relationships or things getting awkward if you feel the fear, super normal. In fact, if there's no fear there, probably a little bit of a worry. But, but, but you'll be the person that's just out there going for it all the time and we're all going, wow, how do they do it? I don't know, there's some fear missing, right? There's meant to be fear. So what do you do with fear? If, if you can just acknowledge your fear to start with, I think that's really helpful. I'm scared. I'm scared about what this is going to do. I really value relationships. I like it when people like me. That's super normal. What do you do about fear? I've got a few thoughts on fear. First of all, it will, it will always be there. D don't think when the fear's gone, that's when I'll start. No, no, no. The fear will always be there. It's okay. It's always going to be there. Y you know the definition of courage, don't you? It's not, tell me if I'm wrong, Deb. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the doing it despite the fear. Did you catch that? That's what courage is. It's like, cool, there's fear there, and I, and I do it anyway, because I see how important it is. So don't wait for the fear to be gone. Just accept that it's there, and it's always going to be there. And here's the thing. Work hard to grow in another kind of fear. You'll always fear what people think of you. Just learn how to fear more what God thinks of you. Grow in a reverent fear of your Lord and your Master, the one who made you, the one who you're going to stand before, the one who's given you a job and he's grow in your fear. What are you smiling at, Baz? What have I done? 
grow in, just tell me if I'm doing weird things, all right? Grow, I care about what people think of me, all right? Grow in your fear of him. Now, it's good to acknowledge when we talk about fear of God, because the scriptures are full of the concept of the fear of God. It's, it's, it's good to acknowledge when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about the kind of fear that want, makes you want to run away from God in the opposite direction and cower from him. That's not a reverent, healthy fear of God. Reverent, healthy fear is the kind of fear that makes you want to draw near to God and bow before him and honour him and love him and serve him with all your days. Reverence and honour. It's that kind of fear. With a whole lot of, yeah, I could get sent to hell for an eternity from this master. Like, that is, if there's anyone you're going to fear in your life, you want to fear God. So what's it going to mean for you to grow in a healthy fear of him? Now, by the way, when I mentioned send me to hell just a minute ago, that I didn't mean that to say if you get before God and you haven't lived a perfect life, he's going to do that. Yeah? God can actually send you to hell because you've never come to put your trust in him. That's, that's how you end up in hell. But come to him, draw near to him, live in fear of him, learn to care more about what he thinks, learn to focus more on his pursuits, learn to find out what he's up to and get on board with that. You will stand before him on the final day, maybe very soon. And that is the day, isn't it, when, when we'll see so clearly it was all about him. It was only ever about him. Why did I get so distracted? Your only regrets, regrets, <laughs> your only regrets when you stand before the holy God of the universe will be that you spent probably more time than you needed to worrying about what people thought of you. And actually not loving people enough to actually share Jesus with them. And so here's the final thing. Well, it's not the final thing I say that, but grow in your love of God and actually grow in your real love of people. Because sometimes your desire to hang on to a relationship with a person is not really loving them. It's actually just being needy yourself for a relationship you want to stay intact, which you could call self-love or just neediness. But if you really love someone, if you really love your friends, you will be concerned, won't you, for their eternity. So you'll, in your fear, prayerfully ask for strength and do what you can in with what God gives you to hold out the word to those who you love. How can you not share what you've got with those who you love? So there's the second thing. There's the burden. And it's real. The, the burden's real. You don't want to gloss over it. As we've come to Christ, it's the most wonderful relationship to live in. And, and he gives us a responsibility in our days here to hold out the word of life. The final thing that I want to say is it's not just a burden, it's a joy. It's our job, our burden, our joy. And you don't want to miss the joy because otherwise you're just going to live this life thinking, all right, I've just got to just get banged up and feel terrible my whole life. Now there's deep, deep joy in this, in this job, in this burden there's joy. Did you pick it up in Paul's language there in verse 24? And he says this often through his letters, doesn't he? He talks about rejoicing and he talks about joy in really hectic times. So, so look at his language there. He says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I rejoice in what I'm suffering. So here's the thing about Christian rejoicing. Here's the thing about Christian joy, or you might call it Christian happiness. 
It doesn't come with the absence of hardship. That's not what joy is, when everything finally gets sorted out and you can just breathe easy because everything's going great. That's not Christian joy. That's just a normal human thing where you take a deep breath when things are not all hectic, you know. That's, that's just nice. But Christian joy, Christian rejoicing, happens actually in the midst of hardship and happens in the deepest way, actually, in, in the midst of suffering and affliction. Because you know for sure it's not coming from your circumstance. You know it's coming from something deeper. Christian joy and rejoicing. Now I've got about four things to finish on just here. I think joy and rejoicing, because Paul keeps talking about it. You know, Philippians, you really want to dig into joy. That's what the whole book of Philippians is about, joy. But what's going on for Paul? What's going on for brothers and sisters who have gone before us and paid a massive price but lived with joy in their hearts for their whole lives? What's happened for them? The best way I could describe it, well, here's how I try and get my head around it, is there's a deep knowing in the core of their spirit that actually means there's a smirk on their heart no matter what the circumstance. And sometimes far more than a smirk. Sometimes it's a whopping big smile and a rejoicing, even in the midst of hectic situations. So what is that deep knowing? I think it's a, it's a deep knowing about a number of things, about God and what he's done for us. So here's the key things that I reckon if we can press into and go deeper in our knowing about, we will know the joy, even in the midst of the burden as we hold out the word of life. Are you with me? Deeper knowing about these things. Number one, that Christ is the most valuable thing that you could ever possess and that no hardship will ever separate you from him. Christ is the most valuable thing that you could ever receive and nothing can take him from you. A deep knowing about that is going to help you in the midst of a really hard situation and, and, and ongoing hard situations go... Oh, but the big thing is sorted. The best thing is sorted and it's never going to be removed. Just let that one bubble up. There's the first one. Second one. It's possible to understand the blessing of being counted worthy for suffering for his name. That's what's going on here for Paul. That's what happened, I think it was Peter and John when they got locked up, you know, and then released from prison. Uh, even after they've been beaten and stripped naked, they're, they're running. The first thing they think to do is to start praising God. I think in the courtyard, I'm just making things up here. It's from Acts, right? They're in the courtyard and they just start praising God. And what they're praising him for is they're like, yes, counted worthy of the name. Counted worthy to suffer for his name. So such, a, such a value in the name of Christ that to actually cop it for him, they say, blessing. Blessing. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to actually join in Christ's afflictions. To follow in his footsteps. To actively actually take up your cross and know that that's going to be a big part of the dynamic of following him. The one who went to the cross calls us to take up our crosses and follow him. What a privilege to actually follow in his footsteps. It's an honour to labour for Christ, we get told that our labour for him is actually never in vain. So that's 1 Corinthians 15. Your labour for Christ is never in vain, which sometimes hard to believe when you feel like your labour, you can't see fruit from it. I'll tell you why it's never in vain, is because the one who you're labouring for is watching. 
and, and we'll take that into account and we'll reward you for your labour. Um, don't go after reward here in your labour for Christ. Just trust him. He's going to reward you in ways that we don't quite understand how that works. It's usually be good to understand the reward system in heaven. But I'll tell you what, Jesus talks about it enough to, to motivate us to labour for him. Never in vain, your labour. Um, and labor for, it's, it's an honour to labour for Christ and an honour to labour for his church. It's an honour to labour for his church because really, and here's what you see through the scriptures, his church is the ultimately significant community of people on the globe. There is no more significant community because God, the Lord of the universe, goes, it's these ones I'm gathering to myself. I'm actually going to you know, reconcile the whole of creation, but I'm bringing them under me. And my church here is actually at the very centre of my purposes for all things. These are the significant ones. We belong to him. So to labour for the church, that's got to be the biggest honour ever, hasn't it? The community of people that are eternal and loved by God and most precious to him, most important to him. Yeah, what an honour to labour for the church. And here's the final thing. And when I say final, I actually mean final. Um, here's, here's what's going to help you in your joy as you're holding out the word of life is this. You get to notice his strength working in you. Now, have a look at what Paul says in the final verse there, 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul actually describes his labour like this in a number of his letters. He says, I'm flogging myself here with all the strength God gives me to run. I mean, have you spent time trying to think about how that works anyway? What does it mean to strain in his strength? Because I think it's entirely possible to just strain in your own strength. There's probably the first thing to notice. It's entirely possible to just try to labour for Christ just with your own, what you've got in your tank. It's entirely possible to think I'm just going to hold out the word of God because of these skills that I've got and this energy that I've got and just all my own strength. And then it's possible to actually labour for him and hold out the word in his strength. Now, it's hard to figure out, what am I doing it in my strength? Am I doing it in his? Sometimes you know you're doing it in your own strength when you just hit rock bottom and you, your soul is just depleted and you realise, oh, I've been running in my own strength, not in prayerful dependence for a long time and I'm smoked. Yeah? And other times it's kind of really obvious when you are going in his strength. When you go in somewhere weak, yeah? When you, you come to a labour for the Lord and you've got nothing and you're like, Lord, I've got nothing. Like, uh, I actually really, really need you to strengthen me for this because I, I feel like I, I've got nothing to offer. That, that actually can be a really beautiful place to be because you actually get to notice what he gives you. So don't stress out if you're feeling weak. Don't freak out if you're feeling like you've got nothing because God is the expert at using people who have got nothing and cry out to him, Lord, strengthen me for this task that you've given me. I want to strain, but I want to do it with your strength that's working in me. The same strength that raised Jesus from the dead apparently is living in us. You know, Christ in you. Which leads me to this final point here. <laughs> Classic. Now, this is the final bit of that final point. Um, if it's true that Christ is in you, and if, if it's true that he is the one of immeasurable strength and power, then can you or I 
ever sit back and say, I just can't. Or I'll never be able to do that. Because here's the thing. You're not just you anymore. You are now Christ in you. So don't ever say that Christ can't do something or will never do something in you and through you because you're not that type of person or you don't have that kind of skills. Now we're different. We've got different strengths. But Christ has unlimited strength. So we prayerfully and humbly come to him and say, God, you've made me the way you've made me. I'm pretty banged up in some ways. I've got some real weaknesses here that I'm growing aware of and I'm a little stronger in those things. But Lord, can you provide what I need to live a life that you intend for me to live? And we're hearing here that our job is to hold out the word. Scary, maybe feeling weak. But will you trust that the Lord will provide everything you need to hold out the word? The words you need, the guts you need, um, the humility that you need, the strength to get back up after you feel really humiliated and like you failed. He'll give that to you. And, and as he does that, you get to rejoice in his strength. You get to go, well, thank you, Lord. I can see you enabled me to do that. Thank you. And there's joy and there's rejoicing because we have Christ in us. Let, let, me, let me pray and, um, and then we'll sing. Oh, Father God, thank you for your word that you've come to us with. A word that has saved us. Uh, what an incredible privilege to know you and to grow to love you. We see that you've actually called us and commissioned us to hold out the word. We're scared. We feel weak half the time. I don't know many people at all that feel very gifted at it. But Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you give us what we need to do the job you want us to do in holding out the word? And Lord, as you do that work in us, strengthening us, would you help us to recognize your strength and your empowering and to rejoice in you and know joy in you? Thank you, Lord. Amen.